Last week, we left off with Pastor William teaching on how to stop strife. Didn't he do an incredible job? Didn't he do an incredible job? We left off with Nehemiah chapter 5 talking about how to deal with strife and how to overcome dealing with situations with others. It ministered to me. But this week, uh, we're going to dive into lesson 6, talking about dealing with distractions. Dealing with distractions. You know, I have been studying the book of Revelation, and I have been studying uh, the end times as best as I can. And let me tell you guys something. The Lord is coming. And if you're not ready, if you're not ready, you better get ready tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is coming. And I, 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 can't, scream, I can't scream it as loud as I want. I want to scream it from the mountaintops. I want to tell everybody that I know that Jesus is coming. It, it, we don't have time to be distracted. We don't have time to put our eyes on anything else except Jesus Christ. We are living in the last days. I've heard it preached all my life. I've heard uh, my grandma talk about it. I've heard Pastor Spikes talk about it. I've heard Pastor Payne preach about it, but it is now more real than it ever is before. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And we've got to deal with the distractions that the enemy tries to put in place of us. Let's be honest with ourselves. We are all get distracted at times. We all get distracted at times. So we've got to deal with that, and that's what this lesson is built upon. Do you have any unfinished projects lying around collecting dust around your house? Ha-ha. <laughs> ha <laughs> I pierced the heart there. Pierced the heart. Is there any unfinished projects? Men, do not raise your hand. Women, uh, do not raise your husband's hand. But, you know, it, it's so easy to get sidetracked from what is going on. It, it's so easy to get sidetracked of what you're trying to do. You got a million things going on. You got work. You got your kids. Some of you got grandkids. Some of you got things that you're dealing with on a personal level. And it's so easy to get sidetracked trying to do whatever you can to do a hundred things all at one time. It takes it, it, it takes tenacity to finish what we start because there's always some something competing. For our attention. There's always something competing for our attention. There's always these things that try to distract us. And in the scripture of Nehemiah chapter 6, one thing is clearly emerges from our study in the book of Nehemiah that it is a, that life is a battle from beginning to the end, full of distractions, trying to divert us from the Lord and trying to divert us from our attention. Being on Jesus Christ. We see this in the book of Nehemiah, but also in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the apostle Paul warns us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers of this dark world. 
Every single day we meet the powers of darkness. Every single day. If you don't, if you don't believe me, I dare you, I dare you to walk down the streets of New Orleans. I dare you to walk in the middle of your job and hear the stuff that they're talking about. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the principality of this world trying to divert our attention from Jesus Christ and His coming. But here in Nehemiah chapter 6, as in many other places in Scripture, we learn that the devil has two ways of working. The first tactic, the first tactic is fear. Is fear. The devil wants you to fear what he's doing in this earth. The devil wants you. Satan is prowling around, like Peter said, like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And his tactic is to try to make you afraid. He's trying to make you fear of the Lord's coming. He's trying to make you fear of what could happen. He's trying to make you fear that if you stumble, you can't get back up. He's trying to make you fear to divert your attention. But he also has another battle plan as well, and it's called flattery. Flattery. Ooh, flattery. It'll get you. 2 Corinthians reveals that Satan is masquerades as an angel of light. He comes with enticing promises and flattering words that, that what he proposes will cost us nothing. But you know just as well as I do that flattery will get you in trouble at times. Whatever method the enemy and the evil one tries to employ upon you, whether it's fear or flattery, his aim is to distract us and to destroy us. And we need to be on guard of each of these approaches. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we must be aware of his schemes. That we need to be on guard because Satan is both a lion that devours. Listen, a lion that devours a serpent that deceives we have to be careful we have to watch his schemes and we the, the bible says that he does not want us unaware of the fiery darts that he tries to throw at us so let me give you a simple outline of what chapter six talks about and this lesson was just beautifully written and i added some thoughts to teaching this lesson and i just love the way that this was put in but this outline, it talks about the intrigue of Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Then it talks about the inundo, verses 5 through 9. And then the intimidation, verses 10 through 19. And I'm going to break that down for you right here. The intrigue talks about Nehemiah chapter 1 through 4. And it, it says that since Sanballat and his sinister buddies fought, failed in their attempts to stop the wall builders, they decide now to concentrate their attacks on Nehemiah. First, we hear, and you heard me teach a couple weeks back about dealing with discouragement. And we've heard about how to deal with other people. And they failed in their attempts. So now what they decide to do is try to attack Nehemiah himself by changing their tactics and resorting to subtle persuasion. When the enemy can't get you, when the enemy can't uh, uh, attack you and try to come against you and make you uh, come against him in a way that, that, that you're fighting him and you're not giving up. He comes in a different way, like an angel of light, where he tries to persuade you like he did in the garden and saying that, that you know that God knows 
that if you eat of the fruit, that you will not surely die. And he does this with Nehemiah through Sanballat and, and his buddies. And he talks about in verses 1 through 4 that they try to tempt Nehemiah to come to them and reason together. Many people today are, are faltering in their Christian pilgrimage because they listen to the advice and the temptations of those closest to them. And we're about to read what happened when Nehemiah was tempted. Verses 1 through 4 says this, When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of his enemies, that I had rebuilt, Nehemiah, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gate. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages of the plain called O-No. Man, what a valley that is, right? O-No. If you walk into some place called O-No, then you know good and well you don't need to be in there. You know good and well if the name of that place is called, oh, no, no, I ain't walking in them doors. No, sir, no, ma'am. But they were scheming to harm me, Nehemiah said. So I sent messengers to them, said, I am carrying out a great project and cannot go down to where you are. Why should the work stop? Listen, why should I stop and leave it here? And go down to you. What is it going to benefit if I leave and stop what I'm doing here? And the scripture says that four times they sent the same exact message. And every time Nehemiah said, I gave them the same exact answer. These enemies suddenly became Nehemiah's friend when the wall was built. Nehemiah started to gain popularity when the wall was built. But yet there was something going on with these people that they understood that they wanted to change their tactic and just like the enemy he wants to change his tactics in life to try to take you down so Sanballat they invite him to a conference down in the plain of Ono the first four verses look like a political concession speech they want to meet with Nehemiah and cut their losses and or cut their losses and try to reason together located on the seacoast near the Gaza Strip and it was a beautiful resort area but Nehemiah senses that there's some danger going on he says that surely that they're trying to scheme to harm me and Nehemiah said oh no to oh no oh no to oh no some commenters suggest that they were trying to trick him into leaving Jerusalem so that they could attack him and try to ambush him but Nehemiah evidently senses what's going on in the spirit and he firmly declines saying I am carrying out a great project I'm doing something that you've never done before I'm doing something that is going to propel me and my family to go to the other side I'm building something in my life I'm building a wall so that my family can be secure. You don't understand what's going on, but let me tell you, I am building a great project, and it's not going to benefit if I get distracted to, for, to come talk to you. It's not going to benefit me and my family if I stop building and go do what you want me to do. It's not going to benefit me. And so many times that 
that I see this even in this generation and generations that have passed that oftentimes we stop what we're doing because we think that everything is going right in our life. We think that we're doing something and we're building something and we stop. We stop building and we try to pursue something that distracts us from God. And that's where the enemy creeps in. That's where the enemy creeps in to our life. When we set things down and we set things aside and we say, you know what, I'm going to stop this for just a moment. Just a second. Just, I'm just going to go there for just one night. I'm going to go to that place and just, you know what, I'm just going to sit there and not have a drink. I'm going to sit there with my friends and I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go talk to them. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to go talk to them. Or, or maybe you, you, lip out, you, you slip out that one cuss word and you, you think about it and you know, you know I, I, essentially I, I've been doing so good and I haven't cussed. And, and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves that you're starting to cuss again and again and again. Because we've allowed just one little inch to go meet with the enemy, to, to allow him to be in our presence. Let me encourage you, you cannot allow anything that is against God to be in your presence. That's what Nehemiah was telling them, that I, I've got a great project that I'm trying to build, and it's not going to benefit me, Brother Ralph. It, it's not going to do me no good to go sit down with you. For one, two chapters ago, you wanted to kill me. Two chapters ago, you was my enemy. Two chapters ago, you wanted to box me. But Nehemiah is saying, it's not going to do me any good. And he realizes and he sees through the scheme and he refuses their invitation four times. And, and oftentimes we are so pressured to change our mind and we're so pressured to give in. Some of us often give in to repeated pressure. We might decline on the first invitation, but find our defenses weakened as the enticements continue. And maybe you can hold off the second time and stay strong, but the enemy is relentless and will come after you every single day. Every single day. There's a song that talks about how Jesus is relentless and his relentless love and, and his love is so, it, it just chases after us. And I just have to believe that every day when I get up and life hits me in the face that I have to believe that the devil is just as relentless. Because he slaps me upside the head in the morning times. He doesn't allow me sometimes to think about what I want to think about and that's godly things. I, he's a relentless thing that tries to take me out and I have to believe that he's the same way with you also. So what we have to do is continue building the wall and staying strong against the distractions. Putting things aside to say that I will not give in to the invitation. I will not give in to go there. I will not give in. Because he wants to come after you every day. My question is, will you stay strong and ignore the distractions? Will you accept defeat and meet the enemy to relieve the pressure that you feel to give in? Or will you stand firm? And will you say that I serve the God of all of creation? He saved my soul. He put my name on the roll. Wash me in his blood. And you know what? I've got something that I'm building. And that's a life for my family. That I, I've got 
something on the other side of glory land that the Lord is building for me. And it's not going to do me any good to stop right where I am. Nehemiah persists in his refusal because he knows that his priorities are that I'm doing a great work. And I have a great calling. And God has committed a tremendous project to me. And if I leave, it will be threatened. You better believe that if you leave from building, that the enemy is going to try and threaten. I remember a few years back that I was battling with some internal issues with myself for years. The weight of mistakes was weighing me down and the enemy was relentlessly knocking at the door every day to try to to give in. Every day was a battle to survive. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody like that? And I remember coming home and I sat down with Lake and my wife and I, I talked about what I was going through and her response to my dilemma, her response was this. She encouraged me to come to the realization that Nehemiah had that I am a part of a great work. That God has called me and I can't afford to give up. I can't afford to give in. I don't have time for distractions. I don't have room to turn my eyes to the right or to the left from my vision of Jesus. There's a story in the Bible also of another man that diverted his attention just for a second. And that man's name was Peter. We find that the story went on that they were in a boat in a great storm and all of a sudden there was this ghost-like figure that come walking on the water and everybody else was afraid and everybody else was, was worrisome of what this thing was walking on the water. And all of a sudden somebody said, I, 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 I think that's Jesus. I think that's Jesus. And they called out, is that you, Lord? And Jesus said, yes. And Peter said, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. And all of a sudden, Peter stepped out on that water. Out on the storms of life, the very waves that they were just afraid of, the very thing that they were so worrisome about, he stepped out on the water and he began to walk. And he kept his eyes upon Jesus. And he kept his eyes on the prize. He knew that all if he could just get to Jesus, if he could just get to where he was, that nothing else mattered but that one simple moment. That he diverted his eyes. That one second, Brother William, that he diverted his eyes, he began to sink. And so many times, even in my own life, I begin to divert my eyes from what I know is right. I divert my eyes from what God is doing in my family. I divert my eyes maybe to my career. I divert my eyes maybe to something that's going on outside of church. Right? I divert my eyes to something that really is worth not even worth my time. And I, I know in that moment, that I begin to sink because the enemy has come against me and tried to distract me. But in that moment, I, like Peter, have to raise my hands up and say, Jesus, 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 and he'll always pick you up. I stand here today to remind somebody to not give up. Do not divert your eyes. Do not turn your attention to any guise of the enemy. Do not turn any do not turn your eyes to anything except Jesus. Except Jesus. There's a great work going on at the river. 
There's a great work that's happening here at the river. It's not a coincidence that we're talking about a lesson called build and we're building for the future. We're building to, to expand our territory. God is doing something here at the river and it is a great work. You're a part of the last day revival. God has divinely chosen you. Everybody say me. God has chosen you be a part of the greatest outpouring of his spirit and we must be diligent to recognize the attack whether harmless or not whether harmless or not sometimes these distractions can come disguised as harmless options or even good things at times sometimes distractions can come just harmless little foxes scripture says that the little foxes spoil the vine and even it can be a good thing that you get distracted by. Just this past week, Lake and I was discussing where we are spiritually and going over our plans for the future. And we were talking about, and I started talking about a documentary that I watched. And when it led me to a, a deep dive, and I told you that I've been reading in the book of Revelation and watching some Irvin Baxter videos and discussing end time prophecy. And I, I started to share with her that no matter what, that no matter when, that we must be ready. That we must be ready. I don't care if you believe in pre-trib. I don't care if you believe in post-trib. All that matters is you got to be ready. You got to be ready. It's not time to remove things. It's time to remove things that stand in the way of His personal presence in our lives. We discussed, me and Lakin talked about how our minds are so, how, how our minds and simple everyday small habits can often get in the way of our daily disciplines and even devotions. It is so important that in these last days that we do not get distracted. It is so important that in these last days that we deal with the distractions. It's so important. We must be aware of how things Things of all things that enter and exit our mind and our heart. They either can be walls that keep God out or walls that keep the enemy at bay. Let me say that again. The things that we put in our life can be walls to keep God, keep relationship with God. Or it can be to keep the enemy at bay. To be honest, one of my biggest distractions is sometimes I, uh, every morning I get up early and I soon as my eyelids open, my brain is like zero to 90. I mean, literally, I, it's just like life hits me and, the, and all my work hits me all at one time. I've got 30 proposals I've got to get out. I've got to call this customer. I've got to call this friend. I've got to check on this person. I've got friends to text, customers to email, proposals to write. And, and all of a sudden... It's just like everything hits me all at once in my, when my eyelids open. It doesn't matter if I'm early. It doesn't matter if I wake up early. It doesn't matter if I wake up late. It always happens. I try my hardest before I get out of the bed to at least read one scripture. Then get up and get dressed. I try to listen to my Bible plan. However, lately before I can do anything, I've been checking my emails laying beside the bed. I hit the interstate in Albany. I've been calling customers. Sometimes I've been calling some of you at the church. While that's not all that bad, it's not a bad thing. It's not like I'm, I'm, I'm so much sinning 
but it becomes a distraction when I put it before God. Anything that comes between you and God, anything that puts a wall between you and God is a distraction. Let's be honest with ourselves right now. Anything that you put between you and God is a distraction. Is a distraction. Is a distraction. One of the most helpful things that we can do to resist the temptation is to remember that God has called each of us to a great task. God has called you to a great task. Task. This is a true of every follower of Jesus Christ. Whether you're just joining the river today, if you're watching online or you've been here many years, we are called to make a kingdom impact. We are called for a purpose with a great task. And, and that is to win everyone that we possibly can. That is to tell everyone to go into all the world teaching all nations that Jesus Christ is alive and forevermore. We are called to make an impact. Priorities here at the church are summed up in three words that you hear and see all over campus that defines our mission here. Who can tell me the three words that maybe that, that is our mission here at the Who can tell me? Yeah, experience, connect, and power. These are our priorities here at the river. Experience is our desire at the river for people to experience God in a personal and powerful way. It's not only for our corporate priority, but it's a personal priority to God every single day. Our second priority to connect that once you experience God's presence, our goal and your goal and next priority should be to connect with the kingdom of God. To get connected to the kingdom hand in hand with somebody and say, we're going to fight together. We're going to fight against the distractions. We're going to fight against the enemy. Last thing is, is our priority is called empower. And once you experience to connect to God's kingdom, our priority at the river is to empower you and for you to repeat the process, to empower and help other people. Empowerment is a rewarding time in your Christian life. And it's, a, it's more than just a form of godliness that we want you to possess so that every person can feel God's presence. It's important. It's important because it's our priority here and it should be your priority every single day to experience God, to connect to the kingdom of God and empower yourself and others to get to where you can. It's important. It's important. I read, I read a story of a missionary in China whose abilities were so outstanding that one of the American companies tried to hire him. They offered him an attractive job with a salary to match, but he, he turned it down. He told them that God had sent him to China to be a missionary. He thought that that would end the matter, but instead they came back with a better offer and an increase in salary. He turned that down too, but again they came back a third time, doubling the financial package. Finally, he said to them that it's not the salary that's too little, it's the job. That's too small. It's the job that's too small. We've got a job to do. And there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing more important than people being saved. There's nothing more important. 
There's nothing more important. In her book of Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskins tells about a noted concert violinist who was asked the secret of her mastery of the instrument. And this is what she said, that there are many things that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed. I straightened the room. I dusted. I did whatever seemed necessary. And when I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. And that system prevented me from accomplishing what I wanted to do with my violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until the practice period was complete. And that program of planned negligence is the secret to my success. I flipped the script and I said, I want this to be the most important thing to me so I'm going to do it the first part of the day before I do anything else I'm going to take care of this. Church in a similar way we've been called to a great task where we have to put Jesus in front of everything else. We've got to put Jesus at the first priority. We've got to put Jesus the first of our life. We've got to put Jesus as the first of our life. If we don't practice some planned negligence, if we don't practice some planned neglect on other things, even good things, we will be distracted from God's best. And that's what Nehemiah, that's what Nehemiah did. He was involved in a great work and he was not going to forsake it for anything less. He was not going to forsake it for anything less. Verses 5 and 7, when the enemy cannot accomplish his purpose, by offering peace, he switches back to his original scheme of sinister threats. And he moves from a political softball to a political hardball. And looking at verse 5, it says, Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me, Nehemiah, with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations. And Geshem says it's true also, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you're building a wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you to Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come and let us confer together. This arm-twisting tactic was designed to pressure Nehemiah to yield to their request and thus fall into their trap. But he resists because he sees it for what it really is, an enticement based upon lies. Note that there was an unsealed letter, in other words, that it was designed for everybody to read and to spread like wild. That Nehemiah wanted to make himself a king. And you can notice that the rumors regularly cited people of distinction as sources. That what happened here, and as Geshem says that it's true. Someone has said that gossip is news that has to hurry to tell somebody before you find out it's actually true. It isn't true. That's what gossip is. And so many times we see this even in our life that, that the enemy tries to flip the switch once again and tries to tell you lies. Like even when you're doing the right thing, even when you're doing the good thing, even though when you're following God, the enemy tries to get in your ear and say, you know what, you're not doing enough. Jesus knows what you're doing and that's, that's for you to be seen. Jesus knows what you're doing. He sees your true heart. And he gets in your ear and he tries to tell you that, that you're not good enough. And he tries to, to flip, the, flip the script of what Jesus is trying. 
But Nehemiah responded three different ways, and I love his response. First, he denied the rumor, he prayed to God for strength, and then he went back to work. He went right back to work. He didn't be distracted by the enemy's tactic. He didn't be distracted by the lies and the rumors of the enemy. You know what he did? He denied, he prayed to God for strength, and he moved on. And so many times we need to do the same exact thing. When somebody comes to us or when the enemy comes to us and it gets us all worried in our inside, we just got to pray about it and move on and just keep on trucking. Just keep on trucking for Jesus. Keep on trucking. We're to get the people to look at Nehemiah as he had some hidden motive for his own glory, for his own uh, uh, for his own stature, for rebuilding the wall and hoping that the workers would thus become discouraged and quit. But Nehemiah simply prays this, Lord, do not let it happen. Strengthen me to work all the harder. They were on the last lap of the race and to finish the line as it was in sight. And he took care of his character, trusted God to take care of his reputation. So many times... When, we try, when the enemy tries to come against us, all we can do is take care of our own character. That's the one thing that we can control is our character. How we respond to situations. How we respond to when the enemy tries to come against us. And when we take care of our character, God takes care of our reputation. God takes care of our reputation. It's so important. It's so important in these last days that we get this thing right, be distracted. It's so important in these last days that we try our absolute hardest to fight the good fight of faith and not be distracted by the enemy. We have to be like Nehemiah and say that I cannot come down. Cannot come down. I refuse to come down to where you are, Satan. I refuse to stop what I'm doing to go where you're at because there's a. No matter the attack from enemy, you must have the response of no. You have to have that response. You've got to have that no where you say, you know what? I don't care how enticing it is. I don't care how good it feels. I've got to say no because there's something bigger. There's something bigger than myself. We can't allow ourselves to go against any of the Lord's commands. Having the right priorities gave Nehemiah the courage to do what was right. Courage isn't the absence of fear but instead, it's the tenacity to do what's right, no matter how much we're afraid. You see, it's not just a matter of saying no to distractions. We have to finish and, and say yes to the right things, so that our priorities are make that that make our priorities match up to God's priorities. As we keep the main thing, the main thing, we will be able to deal with distractions the way that Nehemiah did. Typically, people who say no to opportunity love to convince you or themselves why it was right for a list of reasons. And I'm here to say that yes can often be so right. Deep down, we know when it is. By saying yes, we 
to say no to other people and other things. When we say yes to Jesus, you have to say no to other things. The Bible says, yay be yay and your nay be nay. Got to say yes. No to the enemy. It can be scary to follow Christ, but the reward outweighs the fear exponentially. The fear, the reward of what is on the other side outweighs the reward so much so. It's so important. It's so important to not be distracted. And as I close at this time, the musicians want to come up the piano. It's so important that we don't get distracted because we find ourselves at the last verse of Nehemiah that after all of this was done and after the enemy tried to come against him and, and after everything that the enemy tried to put in its way, verses 15 and 16 say, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Yule. In 52, all our enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations saw it. Our enemies lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. You see, when we put our confidence in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, when we do not divert our eyes and we don't allow the enemy to get in our way, even the enemy has to admit when God is at work. The entire project was finished in 52 days. I wish to the good Lord that Nehemiah was our general contractor. <laughs> Woo, I sure do wish it. 52 days. What a testament to God and His people that they built a wall, that they rebuilt the wall of Israel in 52 days. What a beautiful picture of the power or of Christian witness in our community that even the foes of Nehemiah had to agree God was at work among them. God was at work among them. Brothers and sisters, one of the most un overriding truths from the book of Nehemiah is that the devil never quits. He's never going to give up while we're still alive. God has wonderful blessings and much encouragement and joy for us all along the way. But we must never cease battling against the world. We must never cease battling against the flesh. We cannot stop fighting until we get heaven. We cannot stop fighting until heaven. God will never quit. He will never quit. He can distract you with fear and flattery. He will use gossip and false accusations. If he can't do it that way, then he'll try to distract you in any way possible. So as we close tonight, I know I said that twice already, but as I promise is the last time I'm going to say it. Let's ask God to apply this passage to our lives. Because I see two action things that we can do today, right now, to help us to fight against the enemy. Number one, we've got to practice saying yes to God's priorities. 
We've got to practice saying yes to whatever God wants to do in our life. The best way to not get distracted is being distracted things that are on the of God. And once we're aware of those things, that we must be attracted to them, then we need to commit our life to full devotion and complete commitment. It is so important to say yes. I heard a story of a Native American who left the reservation to join his cousin who lived in the city. And one day as they were walking down a busy street, the Native American said, I hear, I hear something. Stop for one second. I, I, I hear something. He said, I hear a cricket. And his city slicker cousin was so amazed because all he could hear was the traffic. All he could hear was the horns. All he could hear was the constant moving of the vehicles. And after a short search, the man reached down and picked up the cricket. And when he stood up, he pulled out some change out of his pocket and dropped it all over the sidewalk. The noise was no louder than the crickets. But immediately, several pedestrians stopped and turned towards the sound. The man then turned to his cousin and said, See, people hear what is important to them. What is important to them? So my question to you today is, what are you hearing today? What is the voice that is speaking in your ear? What is the distraction that is trying to divert your attention from God? What is the most important thing to you? Is it God's priority or is it yours? Is it God's priority or is it the things that try to attack you every day? What is the most important things to you? Are you locked into God's kingdom and purposes or are you focused on a bunch of other things that truly will not make any difference in the end? The second thing that we can put in practice today is saying no to the devil's distractions. Saying no to the devil's distractions as we stand at this time. I don't know what distraction you're faced with today, but it might be television, it might be Facebook, it might be Instagram, it might be your family, it might be your career, it might be somebody that, that, that really makes no difference in your life because ultimately in the end, they have no weight in your decision, but yet something is controlling you. I read this week that the average American spends three hours and 45 minutes watching TV every single day. That's 52 days of non-stop TV watching per year. By the age of 65, the average American will spend nearly nine years glued to the screen. And then if you add the amount of time that you spend on your phone, screen, guarantee you can go look on your phone today and tell you how much time you actually look at the screen. Just say an average of three hours. That's 18 years of your life added with TV that you have lost because you're staring at a screen. 18 years of life that you could have had your attention on Jesus. 18 years of your life that you could have had with a priority towards Jesus Christ. So as we close our eyes, I ask you to take some time right now to ask the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit.
you identify the things that are distracting you from God's priority. What is distracting you from God's priority? Is it a friend? Is it an activity? Is it your money? Is it your possessions? Is it the money that you don't have? Is it your thought? Is it your career? Because we have to move it out the way. We've got to say, Jesus, you take priority in my life. You take priority in my life. You take priority in my life. Church, the enemy wants to distract you and try to take you away from building God's kingdom. He is subtle, but God is sufficient. We have the ability to turn our attention to Jesus Christ. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray. Yeah.